0: a dynamic christian professional community let's move beyond talk fellas and start creating the change we want to see exploring theology doctrine and all of the fascinating subjects in between broadcasting from an undisclosed location dead men walking starts now Well, hello everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Dead Men Walking Podcast. Thanks for coming along on the ride. Thank you for uh, visiting dmwpodcast.com and checking us out. Maybe uh, looking at some of our snarky merch supporting the show. We do it all for the glory of God. We also like to thank Jacob Supply for supporting the show. Quality building products at Wholesale Pricing. Uh, Jacob is a friend of mine, brother in the Lord. Attend church with him, and his business uh, is just amazing. He has anything from uh, pole barns, appliances, uh, roofing supplies, and what he does is he goes and buys it Wholesale, then passes that price on to you, saving 30 40 50%. He's right here in southeastern Michigan, so even if you're in the Midwest, Indiana, Ohio, northern Michigan, come on down, drive a few hours. It's worth your time. You'll save some money and we appreciate him check him out at jacobsupply.com cool now that we got the business out of the way um guys thanks for being here we have a great episode um i I met this brother a few years ago i think at a fight laugh feast conference and uh you know our paths have crossed a few times and we finally get to get him on the show it is uh, he's the founder and president of the think institute he hosts a podcast called worldview legacy it's uh, mr joel set
1: how are you joel doing good glad to be here greg thank you
0: awesome we will add in the fake applause in post (laughs) <laughs> usually, oh nice that's you, great you know usually we have that you know right there but for some <laughs> but for some reason uh it doesn't like when i hit that button when we're recording so we're gonna have to figure out that but uh joel so good find a button
1: like that from from my <laughs> everyday life that's <laughs> right. epic
0: right you just walk into a room yes oh thank you i'm here thank you thank um, you. you know do the pageant pageant wave for sure <laughs> Uh, we like to take uh, smart, intelligent guests and just bring them down to our level on this show. That's kind of what we do. And and Joel, you are smart, intelligent, a man of God, you're a teacher, a preacher, and we appreciate you being here. But for those of uh, th- those of those in the audience that don't know who you are, could you give us a little couple minute bio about uh, what you're all about and who you are?
1: Sure. Yeah. Well, I'm a Bible teacher and former pastor who used to defend the Christian worldview the completely wrong way. And then... God changed my attitude and my approach, and now I teach others how to explain, share, and defend the Christian message in a way that honors God, that stands on his word, and uh, Lord willing, that leads people to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's what I'm all about. Uh, My wife and I live in Geneva, Illinois about 50 miles west of Chicago. We moved out of the city of Chicago a couple of years ago, kind of right in the thick of the pandemic and, and all that stuff. Yeah. And um, we have four kiddos, we homeschool and uh, we love it out here, man. But I um, I am a guy who I used to be a pastor. And when I was a pastor, I saw this great need for a teaching ministry that would equip everyday believers men and women who were not going to go to seminary, who nevertheless wanted to be able to share their faith with confidence. And when you share your faith, people are going to have questions. Yeah. So I saw the need for this, this teaching ministry to equip Christians to be able to answer those questions and tried to start it when I was a pastor, got some trainings in and, um, it just couldn't get the Institute off the ground. So when my, when my role as a pastor, I was an interim pastor, when that came to an end, we joined up with Crew, formerly Campus Crusade for Christ, and launched the Think Institute. We've been with Crew now for four years, and we're actually in the process of launching the Think Institute as its own standalone nonprofit entity. And teaching organizations, so oh, very, very excited about that. But that's that's a little bit about us.
0: Yeah. Now, something uh, that you said in the very beginning there, and I have to ask, you said I defended the faith the completely wrong way. Let's let's yes. we want to talk about the right way. And today, we're going to be talking about <laughs> apologetics and the importance of apologetics. And and do we see examples of that in the Bible? And did, and did Christ have an apologetic? But before we get into that, what was the complete wrong way?
1: All right. So. Yeah. You had to ask about that, didn't you? So let, let, let's let highlight everything I've done wrong, Uh yeah, which yeah. actually, you know what? I talk about this a lot because so many of us get caught in this trap. Mm. So I've been interested in apologetics since I was very young. I mean, I remember debating my classmates in second grade about is, you know, is being a Christian the only way to go to heaven? And when I was 16, I would hop on these discussion boards these roman catholic discussion boards and debate all the catholics about <laughs> uh, uh mary and the pope and uh, and sola all scriptura that. come on all that yeah, <laughs> that's right yeah the latest episode of my own podcast we talk about sola scriptura so i'm awesome. still fighting that but uh but i've been interested in apologetics and Once I discovered the robust tradition of classical and evidential apologetics, Mm. I went all in. And this is primarily when I was in seminary. So this is going back 2011, 2012. I really went all in, listened to a lot of William Lane Craig, read William Lane Craig, studied all of uh, William Lane Craig. If if you don't know anyone who doesn't know, is um, one of the foremost apologists of our time. He's more of a classicalist, meaning classical apologetics defends the truth of Christianity through philosophical arguments. That's a very, very dumbed down. And all my classicalist friends are are hating me right now because I totally simplified it. Okay. But then (laughs) then you've got evidential apologetics, which really strives to prove that the resurrection of Jesus happened using uh, external, extra biblical evidence or or internal biblical evidence. But they, they seek to authenticate the resurrection using evidence to show that the most probable conclusion is that God exists and God raised Jesus from the dead. Then they go on to prove other Christian truth claims. Look, I've got friends in both camps. I love these guys. Excellent, brilliant scholars, amazing minds. Okay. But let me tell you about an experience that I had when I realized I was doing this the wrong way. Okay. So, um, and then we're going to talk more about approach later. I know, but I was, uh, this was maybe 10, 11 years ago. I'm sitting in this uh, bar in Chicago, Right off of Lincoln Park, which is just this beautiful area. It's kind of like a Central Park in New York City, but just this beautiful area. I'm sitting in this bar with my friend Chris, who was a self-professed atheist. And he and I had been meeting for several months, once or twice, maybe three times a month. And we'd been discussing all the evidence for the truth of Christianity. And man, I was giving him all the arguments. I was pulling out all the stops. And I was doing it in, in a way that I believed he... Had to view as intellectual, as a, as a, what I pictured him as, as a neutral, impartial, reasonable man. There was no way that he could look at this evidence and not conclude. The most probable conclusion, the most reasonable conclusion yeah. is that God is real, Christianity is true. Okay. So this is at the culmination of several months of meeting. We're sitting there and he looks at me. And he goes, there just isn't any evidence. And at this point, I'm about ready to, you know, start beating my head against the table. Yeah. Because it's like, what have we been talking about the last several months? And he didn't even hear it. And so I'm trying to work my way to the gospel. I'm trying to invite this man, my friend. To repent to believe in jesus and i can't even get past square one that god exists and that jesus rose from the dead and so that really set me off on this journey um i was in seminary at the time and actually the way that i finished seminary was a lot different than the way that i started seminary sure. um my my the, the last classes that i took i did some self-study projects and just dove deep into a completely different approach to apologetics and that process that that refined me and refined my approach and you know the amazing thing Greg is that what i realized is that once you once you see how jesus defended the truth once you see the way that the bible equips you to practice and engage with the defense of the faith it's a lot more simple than i was making it yeah. not that not that philosophy and evidence are bad they're wonderful and as a christian i love those things but it does not have to be complicated you do not need a masters or a phd in apologetics in order to defend your faith. Literally any Christian can do it. There's two skills that you need. Um, and there's three steps to the process. I know we're going to get into this, but yeah. it's very, very simple. And so that's where I'm at now. I'm still very much on this journey, but that's what we talk about on my podcast worldview legacy. Thank you for the plug by, the, by the way. And, and that's the method and the, the encouragement that I want to pass along to my fellow Christians. Stay
0: with us. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Covenant Real Estate. And why not? It's my podcast and my real estate company. But seriously, I've absolutely enjoyed helping clients buy, sell, and invest in real estate over the last 12 years. My brokerage serves clients in Michigan and Ohio, with more states coming soon. When I started this brokerage, I wanted to ensure that my expertise and knowledge would serve every one of my clients. I take my fiduciary responsibility to my clients very seriously. That's why I named it Covenant Real Estate. Not only is a covenant a contract in the legal sense, but it's also a solemn promise from myself to each of my clients. I will do my absolute best to serve you. It's also pretty cool that our name has some theological implications as well, which is a great conversation starter. And here's the best part. My agents and I have extensive experience in helping people buy and sell residential homes, buy and sell commercial properties, as well as investing in real estate and selling and purchasing recreational and vacant land. Covenant Real Estate can help you with all of your real estate needs, and I would love the opportunity to earn your business. So if you have real estate needs in Michigan or Ohio, call me at 734-731-GREG. That's 734-731-GREG or click on the link in the description of this podcast episode you're listening to right now. Remember, Covenant Real Estate, confidence from contract to close. So just for those listening, before we get into that, are you still kind of in the evidentialist camp or are you wandering towards presup or presuppositional or, or where are we in that journey?
1: Oh yeah. No, I, I went all in on precept uh, several years ago.
0: Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, and that's, that's um, the incredible thing is that, that is what, as I've studied scripture and studied specifically the encounters of Jesus, that is the method that he used as well. Okay. And so, I, uh, it's funny that you asked me that. And I just, you know, I realized I didn't use the term precept or presuppositionalism. you were explaining
0: it though, because we've all had that situation where you're talking to a non-believer or an atheist or an agnostic, and the evidence just goes right over the head. And those evidences are good. And I love them. And Mm -hmm. I have always said, I even love when, uh, science catches up to the Bible, right. Uh, right. and, and, And we prove it and that's good. And that's great, but we have to, we have to start somewhere with with a, when, 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 when unbelievers have a, you know, a heart of stone that we have to presuppose some things that even within the argument that we're having, uh, there's something that's allowing you to have that argument, but, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off.
1: No, 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 you're absolutely right. And the way that I explain it, um, in-house discussions, like we've got a Facebook group called the think squad. I talk about that precept all the time, you know, hashtag that precept. And, uh, you know, with with Christians who are well aware, like you and I, we would talk about and presuppositionalism. But when I go into a church or if I'm speaking at a conference or something or if I'm going to a men's ministry, that term either might be completely unfamiliar or it might trigger some people, some guys where they listen, like, oh, presup, you know, I know that my favorite apologist doesn't do presub or doesn't like presup. So I don't even Put that term out there. It's not that I'm afraid of it. It's just, I don't want people, I don't want to muddy the water prior to introducing the method. Now, by the time you hear the method, it's obvious what it is. It's it's obviously a presuppositional method. Uh, But I don't think you need to learn that phrase in order to learn how Jesus defended the truth. And long story short, you're going to end up you're gonna end up as a presuppositionalist.
0: No, you're absolutely. When there's preconceived notions now that are that are kind of tacked on to theological terms. I mean, uh, I found that out the hard way. Uh, you know, I was a closeted Calvinist for almost eight years. I would say, and then went through my cage stage, and then realized. No, that's usually what I follow up with at the end. I, I will have a discussion with someone, even a believer, and we get to the end of a two-hour discussion, and they go, well, man, that all makes sense. What, what, wait, what do you believe? And I go, oh, well, I'm Reformed, because that's what the, the Bible says. And instead of leading with it, you just kind of let the Bible speak for itself. Uh, So I I totally understand uh, you maybe not coming out with the P word right out front, but at the same time, that's kind of what it sounded like you were uh, discussing. So I I wanted to clear that up, Um, but let's get right into it. So most listeners are going to understand what uh, apologetics are, but for those who don't, maybe just give us a bird eye view of apologetics. What exactly is it?
1: Sure. Apologetics is John Frame is a guy who is an author. He's one of my favorite theologians and and uh, Christian apologists. But he defines apologetics as the theological discipline that defends the truth of the Christian message. Mm. And uh, elsewhere, he describes it as it's the application of Scripture to unbelief. And I love that definition because that has precept written all over it. But it's <laughs> it's you know, the application of Scripture to unbelief and that can be unbelief on the part of a skeptic or a non-christian or a member of someone who belongs to a different religion or a cult or it can be unbelief in our own hearts yeah. as christians um it's so when when you when you have doubts when you have fears when you have unbelief and you go to scripture and god ministers through his written word to you that is apologetics in action. It's it's not always how we think about apologetics, right? But when you think of it as the application of Scripture to unbelief, it makes a lot of sense.
0: So it sounds like, by that definition, that is something that every believer should be practicing. I think sometimes when we think of apologetics, we think of a William Lane Craig, or we think of someone who just yeah. studies a certain, you know, oh they they go up and they defend the faith. Well, aren't we supposed to be defending the faith daily? You know, I was influenced mm. greatly by Greg Bonson and how he. Mm. Uh, It's funny, when I found him, uh, I went, oh, this is what I've been doing all along, just studying other religions and making sure that I have a defense for my faith. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I thought, what Christian wouldn't want to do that? If I come across a a Muslim or a Hindu or an atheist or an agnostic or Jehovah Witness or a Mormon or whatever, I want to be able to rightly defend my faith. And then I realized a a lot of believers don't think that way. They're happy to be within their little bubble of of what they've kind of learned and don't want to grow outside of that. And no, I just believe what the Bible said. Well, why? Because you're going to get those real world questions. And it sounds like by the definition of apologetics, you're saying this is something that uh, people should practice every day. Yeah,
1: dude, a hundred percent. And one thing that I realized, and I saw this as a pastor, I've seen it as as a, a Bible teacher with the Think Institute. Not, not everybody is wired the way that you and I are, you right. know, where, sure. you know, we like we I love a good fight, so to speak. I love to get out there and, and you <laughs> yeah. know get dirty and, and get in the trenches and and have a have a nice, uh, you know, debate. Sometimes I go, I, I'm a weird guy. I go on Twitter and I'll look for atheists to to argue with. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't mean argue like to be contentious. I mean, literally to practice my arguments because I want to I want to, you know, get sharp. I want to stay sharp, but not everybody is wired that way. Um, And so what I generally do is I'll, I'll sort of paint the picture of the situation that we're in as kind of a wake up call Yeah, because we all, we all live in communities. We live in neighborhoods, we have neighbors and, you know, so for us, we might be reading the Bible. We might be praying, you know, the Bible is very precious to us. Sure, it's it. It contains the words of Jesus. It contains the words of God. It is God's written word. But so many of our neighbors don't believe the Bible. They don't know the Bible. Yeah. So some statistics for you today, according to Barner Research, six percent of Americans have a of a thoroughly biblical worldview. Six percent. Wow. Yeah. So ninety ninety four percent. I'm no math genius, but ninety four percent of our neighbors do right. not have a biblical worldview. Uh, Two hundred million Americans today are unchurched uh 2.7 million people leave the church leave local churches in the United States annually every year and there are 10 states right now there's only 50 states so there's so one-fifth of all states have a population where 96 percent of the population is unreached and unchurched and so the United States today is the fourth largest unchurched nation in the world wow and so when you think about it that way you think well, You know, the real apologists are the guys that go up on stage and do debates. And the real missionaries are the the ones who go to Indonesia and Iran and China. Look, Iran and China are where the church is growing most rapidly in the world. It's, It's shrinking here. So you are here. I am here to be a missionary. Unless God has called you to Indonesia, China, or Iran, you're here because God has put you here and you are commissioned by Christ to disciple this nation, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Yeah. So if we believe that we're here to disciple and we understand that there is no discipleship without evangelism because who are you who are you discipling if people aren't becoming Christians. Yeah. Then we understand the need for evangelism and the why do people not evangelize? Because someone might ask me a question or give me a challenge that I can't answer and then that's awkward and weird and I'm embroiled in this whole thing like I was with my friend Chris where I'm I've got to go research all this evidence and all these philosophical arguments. And nobody has time for that. So, um, so that's that's why I love what you're doing, and that's what why I'm trying to do what I'm doing, which is to teach a method of apologetics that literally anyone can use. Because we are called to do this. We we have to do this. Our neighbors are yeah. are in desperate need for the gospel, and who's going to bring it to them if we don't?
0: Absolutely. So, before we get into the type of apologetic or those steps to take, anything that we do needs to be grounded in Scripture. So, do we have biblical examples of apologetics? Uh, Even more specifically, do we have examples of Christ? Did He use apologetics? What do you think?
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Jesus is the world's greatest apologist. Now, as a a that's a T-shirt, I think.
0: (laughs) I think you're right. Actually, I think that's going up on our site.
1: (laughs) Check for it, guys. In a few weeks. That's good. So uh, I as a good you know Christian boy growing up, I would have I would have always said that. Yeah. But it wasn't until recently that I started actually studying the apologetic encounters of Jesus in the Gospels that I really saw, no, this is really true. Jesus Jesus faced objections and he handled them in the most brilliant way that absolutely left his opponents, whether it was the scribes, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, his own disciples, it left, he left them completely speechless. There's a reason why they had to, you know, in their minds, why they resorted to killing him because they couldn't out-argue him. He was just destroying them in every encounter. And so, yes, there are multiple examples of Jesus, we might say, engaging in apologetics, if that's not irreverent to say that. Right. Um, I um, I teach a series where it's a six-part series. One of them is Paul one of them is an intro to apologetics, and the other four are encounters that Jesus had. Uh, one of my favorite encounters though is in Matthew 12. Okay. Um, which uh happy to get into it if you want. Let's or do it. okay. Okay, cool. So um, before we jump into that, let me just I'm gonna throw something out there. And your listener is either gonna relate to this, or if he has kids of a certain age, his kids are gonna relate to this very, very readily. The number one objection right now, and I would I would not have said this several months ago. The number one objection that, that we get to our Christian faith is that Christianity is L- anti-LGBT, right. or or transphobic, or homophobic, or you name it. But sure. we are we are that. And actually, I teach apologetics to high schoolers, and one of my students' moms recently um, sent me an email saying, "Hey, can you incorporate this into the class next year? Okay. Because it is it is the top objection." That my son is getting and that that others his age are getting.
0: And you're right. It's it's totally been ramped up over the last year and a half, two years, I would say, to where it's your anti this. Yeah. Put it mm-hmm. put in that hundred
1: percent. Yes. Especially when they attach a the word or the um, you know, the suffix phobic. Yeah. You know, phobic. But pho- that's an irrational fear. <laughs> you're <laughs> right. you know, you're you're irrational, you're afraid, you're ruled by fear. Okay. So really, they're accusing Christians of being bigoted, of being irrational, being prejudicial. Now, here's the irony of it. Christians, we get this accusation because we are speaking out or ministering to people who have, let's say, same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria or something like that. And sure. we, are, we are seeking to help the person. I don't mean that in a paternalistic, uh, uh, you know, condescending way. It's the old expression of, Hey, I'm a beggar. I found food. I want to help you find food too. It's yeah. that kind of thing. I'm no better than you. I'm a sinner. I sin in different ways, but I'm still a sinner, but I'm trying to help. Yeah. But it's that very act of helping that gets us accused of all these irrational fears and evil ways of thinking. So there's this deep irony there. How do we respond? How do we respond when we get that accusation on, on Twitter or in real life or Uh, You know, Taylor Swift had that question or that song that came out a couple of years ago, You Need to Calm Down. I'm not a big Taylor Swift fan, (laughs) okay? But she had this song, You Need to Calm Down, which was basically shooting arrows at Christian conservatives who hold to a biblical sexual ethic. So how do we respond? Well, I propose that we go to Jesus and we do what Jesus did. And Jesus didn't face that exact objection, but, you know, that Christianity is LGBT, or anti-LGBT, but he did face a very similar one. And this is found in Matthew 12, 22 through 30. What's happening there? Jesus is, uh, he he just healed a man. He healed a man who was oppressed by a demon. And the Pharisees come up and they accuse him publicly of operating by Satan's power. They say that he is fueled by Beelzebul. Mm. And Beelzebul is essentially a slang term for Satan. And so Ah, uh, you know what's going on here in this passage? And uh, in that day, exorcisms were were happening. The Pharisees were actually doing them. but um, in the Old Testament era, there weren't a lot of exorcisms happening. it It really was not you don't really read about that. There's sort of one example. There might be more. But King Saul, who was the first king of Israel, is oppressed by an evil spirit. Mm-hmm. And King David comes along and plays his harp and when he plays his harp the demon leaves or the the unclean spirit or whatever the oppressive spirit leaves king saul okay so a little bit of background of this passage in matthew 12 then by the time that jesus comes along there is this expectation that the messiah who is called the son of david is going to be able to cast out demons that's just something that's sort of in the background of this passage Yeah. so here comes jesus and he's casting out demons and the Pharisees, in order to do damage control, they start saying, "No, he's casting on demons. Not because he's the son of David. He's not the Messiah. He's doing this because he is fueled by Satan. He's working for Satan. So the demons are also working for him. Look, he's doing something good. He's helping this guy, and he's being accused of doing something evil. It's really, it's, it's very analogous. It's very similar to what we're experiencing today. So, okay. So what's going on uh, in in verse twenty four? They accuse him of of uh, working for Beelzebul and What they're trying to do is they're actually trying to get Jesus killed because under Jewish law, practicing black magic using, using, uh, satanic power was a capital offense. So they're trying to pin this charge of sorcery on Jesus. And actually as quick side note, the extra biblical accounts of Jesus that came out post 70 AD as Judaism and Christianity were, were separating. Yeah. And you have uh, rabbinical Judaism, which was, which was actually started by the Pharisees. One of the rumors that one of the official teachings actually about Jesus in the, among the, the rabbis who reject, rejected him is that he was a sorcerer. So they still tried to pin that on Jesus, even after Jesus rose again, ascended, and, and the temple was destroyed. Yeah. So, okay. So then you look at verse 25. Jesus says, and this is, um, this is step one of our approach. Okay. Okay, so step 1 is show the problem in the unbiblical position. Show the problem in their position. Okay. This is this is for those who know the presuppositional method or the transcendental method. This is performing a reductio ad absurdum on their position. You're reducing it to absurdity. Not just showing that it's nonsense, but showing that it literally does not hold together. It falls apart. Yeah. Okay, so here's what Jesus does. He says, Every kingdom divided against itself is headed for destruction, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons drive them out? For this reason... They will be your judges. That's verses 25 to 27. So Jesus starts by stating a principle that they have to agree with. Every kingdom divided against itself is headed for destruction, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. They have to agree with this because they're calling out Jesus for trying to undermine Israel and its relationship with God. So they're, they're saying Jesus is trying to divide us. Jesus is, is trying to make us, you know, uh, side with Satan. They have to agree with this. But then he goes, based on this principle, what are you accusing me of? Because your whole point here is that I'm working for Satan and Satan is, is insidious and dastardly and so smart, but the stupidest thing Satan could possibly do would be to cast out demons. Right. So are you saying, are you saying that I am that, are you saying either that Satan is an idiot and you know he's no threat to us, which that undercuts your your um, argument. Your argument. Yeah, sure. Or are you saying that I'm not working for Satan at all because I'm working against him? Either way, you don't have an argument here. Your argument is completely, it, it's reduced to ashes. I mean, Jesus is just incinerating their position here, and it's brilliant, man. Okay, so step one. So can I move on to step two? Absolutely. Okay, step two, verses 28 and 29. He shows them, that, uh, that their accusation, uh, would actually, well, actually, okay, before we move on, he shows them that their accusation actually applies to them because their own disciples are casting out demons. So they, they literally have no leg to stand on. So that's step one, fully accomplished. Now, step two, you've shown them the problem in their position. Now you show how the Bible or how the truth solves the problem. This is where you make the positive case for, for the the truth, for Christianity, for the Christian position. Okay, so Jesus goes, if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, this is verse 28, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. How can someone enter a strong man's house and steal his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. Okay, so the Pharisees had accused Jesus of operating in the power of Satan, the power of an evil spirit, of Beelzebul, but the exact opposite is true. Jesus is making it a positive case for his own position. He's saying, look, the fact that I'm casting out demons shows you that I have favor from God, that I'm working in the power of God, and that I have power, that I'm actually stronger than Satan. Their whole argument was predicated on the fact that Satan is more powerful than us and is always trying to deceive us and outwit us and outmaneuver us and oppress us. Well, Jesus is saying, look, I'm more powerful and I'm smarter than Satan. I'm able to go take what's his. Like this guy who was who was uh, demonically possessed. Yeah. The messianic prophecies are being fulfilled. Jesus is the son of of David, and he's bringing Satan's power to an end. Actually, what's really cool here now, Jesus is the best apologist. He's also an incredible wordsmith because what he's doing here, he's using this word picture of a of a man who walks into a strong man's house and starts to steal from him. the the um, The name Beelzebul means Lord of the house, master of the house. So Jesus is taking the very name that they're giving him or, or saying that he's working for it and go, oh, I'm working for the master of the house. I'm working for the Lord of the house. No, no, no. I bound the Lord of the house. I bound the strong man and I'm going into his house yeah. and taking what belongs to him. So they are just uh, in a smoking ash pile right now. They are completely, um, they have nothing to say. And so now Jesus goes on to step three. Step three is show how Jesus solves their ultimate problem. That's how I teach it. The way Jesus Jesus ultimately does this or often does this is he gives his listeners a clear ultimatum. Sometimes it's implied and you just, you see it in what he's saying, but he doesn't say it expressly. Other times like this passage, he makes it completely obvious. So in verse 30, he goes, anyone who is not with me is against me. And anyone who does not gather with me scatters. So they've come along and they're trying to blur the lines between God and Satan. They're saying, Jesus, the son of God is working for Satan. Yeah. It looks like Jesus is doing something good, but you have to understand there's nuance here. Really? This is actually evil. And Jesus goes, no, there are, there's a clear line between good and evil. There is no neutrality. You're either with me you're against me. And what he's doing is he's drawing a line in the sand. He's, he's, as uh, pre-suppers like to say, he's pushing the antithesis between himself and his opposition. And he is calling his opponents and his audience and us by extension to choose a side. You can't say Jesus is good and he does good things, but I don't like the fact that he casts out demons or, or Jesus is good, but you know what? He's got some things that are problematic and, and that are actually evil. No, to put it in, in modern terms, to go back to our original example, you can't say, look, I love Jesus. I like Jesus. I think he's a good teacher. But, you know, he was wrong about homosexuality. He was wrong about gender. He was yeah. wrong about marriage or his followers who are following scripture are wrong about those things. No, you can't have it both ways. Jesus says, if you're not with me, you're against me. You can't say I follow Jesus, but hey, Christianity is bigoted. And yeah. so so that's really um, we can take the approach of Jesus and we can bring it into our modern situation. Yeah, And we can directly apply the method that Jesus used. And uh, again, those three steps are, one, show the problem in their position. Two, show how the Bible solves their problem. In other words, make a positive case mm-hmm. or or internally critique the Christian position. And then three, show how Jesus solves the ultimate problem. The ultimate problem is sin. You do not get your sin problem taken care of by picking and choosing which teachings of Jesus and the Bible, you want to accept. yeah. You, go, you you have to repent and go all in with Jesus. That is the only way. Jesus died for our sins. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so it's in step three that you make that beeline to the gospel yeah. and, and, and offer the opportunity for someone to repent and trust in Jesus. That's what Jesus is doing here. And uh, I think that's what we all need.
0: Yeah. And the, I think verse 30 is such a great example. One of many, of Christ being definitive. Uh, you know, the secular culture and non-believers, they really like to push this kind of gray area Jesus, right? Like, you know, he really wasn't definitive on some things. You, Like you said, um, I like Jesus. I can believe, air quotes, in Jesus, but I also want to accept this A, B, or C. When in fact, in verse 30, he's very clear, you're either with me or against me, and there's multiple cases of Christ making very definitive statements and Uh, You know, these kind of progressive believers or liberal believers uh, don't want to focus on those areas. To where you're bringing up a point, to where yeah, he was very definitive in his apologetic, uh, very clear, I I would say. And those three points that uh, those three steps, I'm assuming too, can be applied through throughout the entire Bible and through multiple situations or objections. Correct?
1: A hundred percent. You can use this approach with every objection, and really, all you need is two skills, Greg defending your faith does not need to be overly complicated. It doesn't mean it's not hard. It can be very hard sometimes. And a lot of that is just emotion and fear. And, you know, a lot of it for me is fear of man to be completely frank with you. I want people to like me. I don't want to be the weird guy, but, (laughs) but sometimes you have to be the weird guy. You just have to embrace that. You know, that's part of being based or it's part of, part of following the Lord. So, um, the two skills are one, know how to ask good questions because you don't want to just shoot from the hip and start addressing positions that your opponent or your friend or your non-Christian, you know, interlocutor is not even saying or doesn't believe. Yeah. Okay. So you have to ask good questions to draw out what they believe um, and really understand them. And that's actually, that's a very loving thing to do. Sure. You know, we're supposed to defend our faith according to the apostle Peter in chapter three, three, uh, first Peter three, we're supposed to do this with gentleness. Yeah, and and reverence. And so this isn't something where we go, oh, you're an atheist. Okay, let me just uh, debunk atheism real quick. Well, it's, well, wait a minute, wait. Is this guy a materialist? Is he a naturalist? Is he a supernaturalist? He just doesn't believe in God? What, or is he a Buddhist? Because Buddhists are technically atheists too. So what are we talking about? You've got yeah. to know how to ask those questions. What do you mean by that? Is that always true? By what standard? Yeah. Um, how did you come to believe that? These are questions that we need to know how to ask. Okay so then once you have uncovered what the person is actually saying where they're actually coming from, you want to uncover the fatal flaw in what they're saying and then the second skill is just know what the Bible teaches yeah if you so that's step one and two of the approach and step three actually because if you know what the Bible teaches about morality, about homosexuality, about gender and marriage, about um, the Bible itself, about science if you know what the Bible says about these things then, You can literally answer any objection because you're answering it with scripture. You're applying scripture to unbelief. And uh, that's man. That's what we're called to do. Yeah. We don't philosophy is wonderful. Evidence is wonderful. Emotional appeals, existential appeals, all well and good, but our foundation Is scripture, and scripture is the double-edged sword. So, we man, we better know what the Bible actually says about these things.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You make a very good point about asking questions too, because even in my own experience, as as a younger, uh, maybe not as discerning or wise believer, uh, I had a lot of head knowledge of certain uh, Christian talking points, and then I would meet an an atheist who had his talking points, and then we just got into a talking points argument uh, to where we never really got to. Uh, the root of the issue, and it was mostly because I wanted to speak. Here's here's what I know, and here's how I can disprove you. To where now, as I've aged a little bit, and I and I read the Word, and I look at Christ and His apologetics. Christ really never got in an argument per se. He let the truth stand. And sometimes he would start with a question or two to, like you were saying, to find their position. And I've noticed, and here's a little pro tip for anyone listening. I would probably say nine out of 10 people who claim not to be a believer or claim a different religion. If I ask a series of, well, why do you believe that? Well, where is that coming from? Why would you say that by the fifth or sixth question of me asking that and being very, like you said, gentle and honest, earnestly wanting to know why do you believe those things? You realize very quickly that nine out of 10 of those people have a very shallow understanding of their own position that they can't really get past their talking points from their position. And that allows us as believers to then go, okay, well let me share with you why I hold these positions. And, and I found it, um, much more effective, like you're saying. Uh, and it saves me a lot of time and in, in, in a lot of uh, words, honestly. I don't have yeah. to give my 20-minute diatribe of all these points. You get to the heart of the matter of why... Why do you believe oh, I just don't think that one being could create everything. Okay, well let's talk about time, space and matter and why we mm-hmm. might believe that something outside of that has to create the physical world that we live in and and all those things. Now that's a real big philosophical uh <laughs> example. But you you get you get the point, right? Sure. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm totally on board with you. And these three steps that you lay out, not only biblical, but very practical, because like you're saying, we don't, you know, we, you and I, we love a good debate, love a good argument. I I personally believe sometimes when people debate and get heated in respect, sometimes we learn the most about ourselves and each other, you know, that's where we really are kind of pushing against each other to where if we're just sitting around and everyone's a yes man and agreeing, we don't really get very far, but we need that pushback. Uh, but I would say, yeah, your three points are very well taken. And as we close down here, what are some, what are some practical steps? And I think you alluded to a few of these that someone goes, look at, I want, I want to be sharp. I want to, yes, I want to practice apologetics daily. What are some practical things they can do? It sounds like be in the word, understand it. Are there any resources at think Institute that they should look into? Um, what are some practical things they can do?
1: Yeah. Appreciate the question the number one thing, and you already said it, Craig, the number one thing that anyone can do is study your Bible. And I mean that sincerely. And that's not a, it's very simple, but it's not simplistic Right. because ideally we should be reading our Bible every day. We should be engaging with God's word every day. So what I suggest is if you want to get better at defending your faith, maximize that time and, and, um, Look for what the Bible says about certain key areas that you know you're going to get questions about. So I'll tell you the three for me that I get the most questions about. Those three are morality, science, and the gospel. I mean, like the like the biblical gospel, like what the gospel actually is. Uh, morality. If you study, you know, as you're reading, take note of what Jesus and the Apostle Paul and Jude and John. What are they saying about certain moral issues? uh and and that is going to help you like you go to matthew 19 that's going to help you with talking about marriage you know that's going to help you um talking uh, explaining about gender and sexuality um okay so matthew 19 is a great place to start if you want to look at at morality what about science man when it comes to science start from the beginning genesis chapter 1 is going to lay the foundation for you. If you can figure out what God is saying in, in Genesis chapter one, then you're going to have a framework for engaging with science. And you're going to know how to respond when someone tells you that the scientific consensus is such and such. You're going to say, okay, well, um, um I know I, I can ask good questions about that and uncover the fatal flaw in that. But I also know what the Bible says. I know how God created the universe. I know the intent of the human author Moses and what God was trying to get across. Uh, me personally, I'm a, a six-day creationist. I believe that God created the world probably about six thousand years ago, and my main reason for believing that is because I've done genre studies and I've studied Genesis chapter one. And so, if the scientific consensus disagrees with that, well, we're going to have to find a way to. We're going to have to find a way to um, either disagree with the scientific consensus or. You know, scripture is not changing, so we're going to have to we're going to have to go with scripture primarily, uh, and then um, the third thing, the gospel. And if you can if you can articulate what the Bible says, the gospel is, you will be able to address and respond to every cult and every false gospel and every false religion out there, especially any religious system or philosophical system that claims to value the Bible. Yeah. Because uh, so you know, I've got a a Roman Catholic friend. And he and I, I mean, we, we debate all good natured, but um, but we're always going back to the gospel. So you need to know what the Bible says about the gospel and passages I recommend for that uh, Romans nine through 11 and first Corinthians 15. Yeah, And it probably wouldn't hurt you to study Ephesians one, three through 14 as well. And, um, but look, the gospel is all over scripture. So as you're doing your Bible study, um, make a, make a list, make a note of what the Bible is saying about these different uh different topics. And then in terms of our own resources, I actually I have resources that that lay out how to study the Bible. I've got something called the think method, which uh is an adaptation of what the apostle Paul says in 2nd Timothy 3, 16, and 17. Um, you can go look that up. Um we've got we've got uh I've got resources actually breaking down the three categories that I just mentioned to you. I've got a uh, a resource that outlines uh, james white's book scripture alone and um sort of gives you a cliff notes version on that but the number one thing that i would i would invite people to do is to listen to my own podcast which is called worldview legacy we get into all this stuff and it's either it's either a solo episode from me you know like a, let's say a 25 minute episode from me talking about a topic or i'll bring in some expert or theologian or pastor preacher or teacher to, to discuss it and give us that, the practical insight so that, um you know, so you can go and live out your faith in a biblical way and answer these questions. Really, Worldview Legacy, I aim to make it the show that equips Christian laymen to become the worldview leaders that their families and churches need. That's yeah. really, that's what we're all about. And so uh, typically one episode a week, and uh, the episodes aren't long. We keep them under an hour, Again, if it's just me talking, it's about 25 minutes, 30 minutes. But uh, that's really what we're all about. So Worldview Legacy. I mean, you could literally, your listener could pause this show right now, go subscribe to Worldview Legacy, and then come back here and finish this up. And if you, if for some reason they're not subscribed to Dead Man Walking, they need to do that as well. I'm a subscriber of the show. <laughs> and uh, Like, what are you doing, guys? It's an right, excellent show.
0: Right, Well, same with me, too. So Joel Sedeckes, thank you so much for being here today, explaining this, uh, spending some time with us let everyone know uh, one more time and we'll make sure that we link all this up when it goes, when the show goes live, um, let them know where they can find uh think Institute and uh, the name of your podcast one more time and where they can, where they can listen.
1: Sure. I appreciate it. So the, our website is simply the think.institute, the think.institute.
0: Nice. Um,
1: and the podcast is worldview legacy. It's the show that helps Christian laymen become the worldview leaders that their families and churches need. And um, you can just, search on, on whatever podcast app you're listening to right now, you can search for worldview legacy, hit subscribe and, um, you know, start listening to the back catalog of, of episodes. The last, the last 15 episodes are after we rebooted the show, we we renamed it and uh, tightened it up and dare I say, improved the quality, improved the, uh, the listening experience. So, um, yeah, can go check that out.
0: Awesome. And, uh, guys, I would, uh, encourage you go check out worldview legacy. We were, uh, Joel and I were talking before, uh, we started the episode and, uh, I've listened to the last four or five episodes and it, they're just, they're compact. They're, there's a lot of quality there, a lot of information within that short time span, everything you want in a podcast. So make sure you go check out worldview legacy, Joel, Thank you so much for coming on, brother. Uh, it was it was very eye-opening. I, I think it, was, um, it brought value to people listening. And anytime you want to come back on the podcast and talk about something like this uh, or something not like this, uh, you're, you're welcome to be here.
1: Really, really appreciate it, Craig. It's been uh, an absolute honor. Love what you guys are doing. Appreciate you. And uh, talk to you next time, man.
0: Awesome. Guys, thanks so much for listening to another episode of Dead Man Walking Podcast. As always, God bless.